Hello there. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Jason, and welcome to the Infinitude Podcast, the show where we try to have intellectual conversations about our favorite fandoms and yours, Star Wars, Marvel, DC, that sort of thing. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about Marvel. More specifically, we're going to be talking X-Men. When you go into a comment section, you don't have to look very far to see comments like, Oh, Fox ruined the X-Men, or I wish Marvel never sold the X-Men. And I don't know if that's fair. There are some movies that I really, really adore, some that I don't care for, and some that I think were interesting choices. So in this episode, Jason and I are going to quickly go over each of the X-Men movies and evaluate whether or not Fox failed the X-Men. We're not going to get too into the definitions, but in general, we'll consider a movie a hit if we found it enjoyable or significant in some way, and a miss if it was not enjoyable or if the universe would have just been better off without it. To start off our recaps, we are going back to the very beginning, all the way back to the year 2000, when the first X-Men movie released. So, set in the present day, or, you know, at the time, we meet Rogue, a teenage mutant who runs away from home after putting her boyfriend into a coma after she kissed him, you know, due to her powers. Fair enough. She meets up with Logan, aka Wolverine, and they are attacked by Sabretooth, but are rescued by Cyclops and Jean Grey, after which they go to the X-Mansion, where they are introduced to Professor X and the rest of the X-Men. Meanwhile, Senator Robert Kelly is trying to pass a Mutant Registration Act, which would force mutants to reveal their identities and abilities. Magneto, proud mutant and Holocaust survivor, is pretty unhappy about this, and he has his Brotherhood of Mutants abduct the senator to use him as a test subject for this machine he's built, which induces mutation in humans. Kelly apparently gets the power of being able to melt, so not everyone gets a good power, I guess. Magneto has to power the machine himself, which severely depletes him, so he needs an alternate energy source. Rogue runs away from the X-Mansion and is soon kidnapped by the Brotherhood, how convenient, so Magneto can use her to power the machine. Unfortunately, this will kill her in the process, and, you know, Rogue needs to be saved. Wolverine and the X-Men fight Magneto and his Brotherhood, and do manage to save Rogue. So yeah, happy ending. I, personally, I don't enjoy this one a lot. Um, I just feel like in terms of plot or character or action, I can think of movies that happen later on in the X-Men franchise that I enjoy much more. That being said, I don't think it's a bad film by any means, and it's definitely significant for the superhero genre. You know, this movie came out in 2000, it predates Sam Raimi's Spider-Man or the Nolan trilogy of Batman films, and I think people give the Nolan films a lot of credit for the whole, like, dark superhero genre, but... I think if you if you consider it, like, X-Men actually is the one that started it all. You know, they even have the the jokes about, you know, no yellow spandex and they all wear black. Um, And I mean, if you want to talk dark and serious, this movie starts with, like, Magneto in Auschwitz. (laughs) So I don't know if you can get much darker than that. Um, An obvious shout would be, you know, the casting in this movie that is now iconic. You've got Hugh Jackman, Wolverine, Patrick Stewart, Professor X, and Ian McKellen Magneto. So, overall, even though I don't 
enjoy this film a lot. Personally, I understand its significance, and I don't think it's a bad movie. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. You know, superhero movies are now a mainstay at the box office. That wasn't always the case, and I think this movie really did pave the way, as you touched on earlier. I think it's pretty funny how over-the-top the plot is. You know, on one hand, we're like, this is kind of a dark and gritty superhero movie. But then on the other, it's like, well, Magneto's plan is very cartoonish, even by, like, comic book standards, That's I feel true. like. So, yeah, I just found that a really interesting talking point. But yeah, uh, we are on the same page. I would say this is uh, definitely a hit, even though it's not my preferred X-Men movie. The next movie we're going to talk about is X-Men 2, better known as X2. This movie is based on the iconic Chris Claremont X-Men story from the 80s, God Loves, Man Kills, which explores the allegory of mutants for racism and bigotry. The main villain of the film is William Stryker, a military black ops scientist and mutant hater who, with his men, infiltrates the school and kidnaps a bunch of the students as well as Professor X. Stryker's plan is to use Professor X and Cerebro to find all the mutants in the world and kill them. You know, something a totally well-adjusted person would do. The X-Men, who are able to escape, end up teaming with Magneto to take down Stryker. Magneto tries to switch up the plan and use Cerebro to kill all the humans instead, but the X-Men stop both Stryker and Magneto to save Professor X, and I guess most of the world. They escape the facility, but Jean Grey dies in the process of making sure they get out safely, and it's all very sad. Yeah, this is definitely my favorite of the original three X-Men movies. Uh, I think the emotional core of it is really strong. The threat of Stryker and the lengths he's willing to go to kill mutants is genuinely scary. And even the scene where the men are infiltrating the X-Mansion and the kids are like trying to escape while the others are getting uh, hit. It's genuinely scary, and and you you feel for these characters. Um, yeah, I think the story... I've actually read the comic this was based on, or inspired by, and it actually gets even darker than the movie. Like, there's a... I think one of the first page reveals is that Stryker's men have murdered and hung up the bodies of two, like, mutant children on a playground. So... Yeah, it's definitely dark. I actually forgot about that imagery until you brought it up. Uh, wow, I am not going to sleep well tonight thinking about that. But yeah, um, what can I say? I think William Stryker is a very great bad guy. Um, he's he's just so hateable. Like he doesn't even have like the cool bad guy factor because he's just like a regular guy, but. A complete dick about it as well so yeah I, I mean you know in that regard very hateable villain so great job i remember in the comics he was originally a religious figure whereas you know in the film he's a military guy i think it's a pretty sensible adaptation and these are the kinds of um i guess tasteful for lack of a better word adaptations that i like even though it's not super 100 percent comic book accurate it's still quite sensible to the story I think it was done to tie in Stryker with uh, Wolverine's origin, like with Weapon X. 
Ah, yes, and that is something that we're going to be talking about a little later. But yeah, uh, to summarize, I guess, X2, very enjoyable and probably the most enjoyable out of the original X-Men trilogy. Uh, I think most people would agree yeah. that it's the most enjoyable. So yeah, definite, definite hit. Now we'll talk about a movie that was not a hit, spoilers ahead, X-Men 3 The Last Stand. So this movie is loosely based on the Dark Phoenix Saga, another iconic Chris Claremont X-Men story from the 80s. One of the main plots running throughout the movie is that the humans have developed this cure for mutation, which is sourced off a young mutant, Leech in the comics. While some mutants like Rogue want to take the cure, others like Magneto and his merry band of mutants oppose the idea, believing it is a ploy to exterminate mutants and plots to destroy the cure and its source. Meanwhile, Jean Grey returns from the dead, but kills Cyclops in the process, and Professor X reveals the Phoenix is emerging in Jean, a powerful alternate personality that he repressed. Jean kills Professor X and joins Magneto, cause why not? The X-Men confront Magneto and his forces with the intention of rescuing Jean and protecting Leech. The military also get involved and neutralize some of Magneto's forces with the cure, including the man himself, so Magneto loses his powers, as if his day wasn't already bad enough. Phoenix takes over and just starts destroying things and wiping people out, but when Wolverine gets close enough, Jean regains control for a second and tells Wolverine to kill her, and he does and it's all very emotional, Except it's not really. <laughs> yeah, this was actually the first X-Men movie I ever saw. I was like eight at the time, so I thought it was fine, but it didn't take me long to realize that it's actually not. It's not a very good movie. There's a few cool scenes and ideas scattered across this general mess of a movie, but overall, none of it really compensates. Um, they have the two running plots, and weirdly enough, I feel like the cure plot is actually a bit more compelling than Jean just magically turning bad and chaotic, and then have and then the X-Men having to take her out. Overall, this movie is, is a miss. I agree with the whole Dark Phoenix plot being the less interesting plot of the two. To be honest, I feel like the execs were probably like, whoa, this is an iconic story, we should base our next movie around it. And at the risk of sounding like that guy who's always, oh, but it's like this in the comics. In the comics, it's actually the Hellfire Club who caused the Dark Phoenix to emerge through being all around not very nice people. But the Phoenix Force actually starts off as not evil. And I think this is important, because to make your bad guy this godlike thing, which can only be killed if the human host dies? Uh, I, I just don't like that. I hate the oversimplification of the phoenix in this, on how it's just this thing that turns Jean Grey evil. It's lame to me, I could be wrong, but having something corrupt Jean completely until she tells someone to kill her or let someone kill her doesn't qualify as compelling character work. Okay, I've ranted about Dark Phoenix for long enough. Let's now rant about X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> this is the movie where we finally get Wolverine's origin that was teased in some of the previous movies. This movie is interesting because it both started and immediately sank the X-Men Origins line of movies Fox was planning for. 
This movie starts with Logan living as a young boy in the 1800s named James Howlett. His parents die, his powers are triggered, and he runs off with his brother Sabretooth. They fight in, like, every war for the next 100 years, but while Logan slash James is mostly a good dude, Sabretooth is definitely not and has a lot of rage. The two of them join this Black Ops team run by, surprise, surprise, William Stryker, and this team is populated by other mutants, including a character meant to resemble Deadpool. Eventually, Wolverine leaves the team because he finds them to be not the best dudes and goes off to live a quiet life with his girlfriend. A few years later, Stryker comes back to him and says members of the old team are being targeted and killed, and he's like, yeah, whatever. Back at home, his girlfriend is seemingly killed by Sabretooth, so Logan goes to Stryker for some adamantium, because, you know, why not, right? (laughs) Just go to your old boss and ask him to hook you up. So this is how he gets his famous adamantium claws and skeleton in the movies. Logan then finds out that Stryker is actually a bad guy and escapes, eventually being helped by Gambit, who I actually forgot was in this movie. The two of them find Stryker's facility to release a bunch of kidnapped mutants, because remember, Stryker is a mutant hater. In the final battle, Wolverine ends up teaming with Sabretooth to fight Deadpool, air quotes, or whatever you want to call the Frankenstein character who had his mouth sewn shut and now has the powers of everyone on the old team. They defeat Frankenpool, and Wolverine is shot by an adamantium bullet, which erases his memories. So, this is a movie that I think people who are, like, anti-Fox X-Men point to to say they failed it. It's like this one and Last Stand. Um, Again, there's a few cool ideas that are scattered throughout the movie. Like, Wartime Wolverine would have actually been kind of interesting to see, but they montage through it in, like, two minutes. None of the characters in this movie are particularly compelling. They don't seem to have a lot of, like, reason for why they do the things they do. Um, Overall, it's kind of just a sloppy movie, and I think a lot of people agreed, so that's why it's a miss. Yeah, I did not enjoy this movie. It was actually the first X-Men movie I saw in the cinemas, and it was kind of a bummer. But I suppose my affinity for the X-Men Evolutions cartoon was enough to you know, keep me uh, interested in the franchise. Alright, so we have two hits and two misses so far. This next movie is, spoiler alert, a bit of a banger. So we are moving on to X-Men First Class. This one was actually meant to be an X-Men Origins Magneto, but the last X-Men Origins movie didn't do so well, so we got this instead. It's the first of the prequel X-Men movies, and we see the backstories of Professor X and Magneto. As a Jew growing up in Nazi Germany, to say Magneto had a rough childhood would be a bit of an understatement. His powers begin to manifest when he is in Auschwitz, and a Nazi scientist kills his mom to trigger them, which obviously has a lasting effect on him. Professor X, on the other hand, grew up very comfortably in his mansion, even though his powers were sometimes inconvenient. He also met Mystique as a kid, and she's a good guy now because Jennifer Lawrence. In the 60s, against the backdrop of the Cold War, CIA agent Moira McTaggart is investigating a group of evil mutants called the Hellfire Club, led by Sebastian Shaw. She teams up with Charles and Mystique, and they end up running into Eric slash Magneto, who has been searching the world trying to find and kill Shaw, because Shaw is the Nazi scientist who killed his mom. 
A bromance ensues between Charles and Eric, and they recruit some X-Men, including Angel, no, not that guy, Girl Angel, Beast, Havoc, and Banshee. Shaw has plans to start World War III so that the humans can kill each other and mutants will be the dominant species, and basically manipulates the Cuban Missile Crisis into happening. The proto-X-Men track the Hellfire Club to an island, and Eric gets his revenge on Shaw by finally killing him, despite Charles' objections. Both the US and the USSR target the island the mutants are on with missiles, further cementing Magneto's belief that humans are trash and should die. He tries to retarget the missiles at the humans, but a fight with Charles stops the missiles from doing any damage, and in the ensuing melee, Charles ends up getting paralyzed from the waist down. The two part ways based on their different views on dealing with humans, the bromance ends, but they're still going to be seeing a lot of each other in the future. Okay, um, all I can say, first of all, is I love this movie. I absolutely adore this movie. The character work and the relationships you get to explore are so interesting and so compelling, and you get a real sense of why these people are the way they are in the future. I guess the one thing you don't really see is in the original movies is like the Charles Mystique thing, but other than that, like the Charles Eric thing, oh my god, it's just, it's so well done. You get fun things like, you know, the training montage at the mansion and everyone picking their, their X-Men names, um, but you also get really emotionally charged scenes like the coin scene. Oh my gosh, the coin scene. <laughs> it's so, it's so gratifying watching that scene play out. Um, the paralysis, you know, Magneto's mom being killed. Like, it's so... And, and, and even that memory that, you know, when Charles is like, you have to find that perfect point between rage and serenity. Oh, oh, my, oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah, that was so good. It's so good. Um, I also think the way it's set up against the backdrop of the Cold War is is pretty brilliant because by the end, it's like, mutants are the next big threat. You know, it's not like communism anymore. So yeah, I I love this movie so much. Yeah, definitely a big hit. Uh, not only is it a fantastic movie on its own, but it also gave rise to the rest of the X-Men prequel films. As you can imagine, I feel like if this movie had flopped, you know, the X-Men prequels wouldn't have been a thing. And, you know, we would have lost out on McAvoy, Fassbender, and all that good stuff. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I, I love it so much. Sometimes, like... Is this my favorite X-Men movie? I think this is my favorite X-Men movie. But um, there are some... It's got some stiff competition, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, uh, fantastic movie, definite hit. It's almost like um, Wolverine Origins failing was almost a blessing because we got this movie. Yeah, we got two origin stories for the price of one. <laughs> Speaking of Wolverine, the next movie we're going to talk about is The Wolverine. This movie is actually a sequel to The Last Stand, where we find out that back during the bombing of Nagasaki in World War II, Logan saved a Japanese officer. In the present day, Logan is living as a hermit and he does have his memories back, which is a bit odd considering the ending of his first movie, but okay. He is tracked down by a mutant called Yukio on behalf of the officer whose life he saved back in the day, and Logan goes to Japan to visit him. The officer, now an old man, offers to have Logan's immortality transferred to him, allowing him to continue living and freeing Logan of the curse of living forever. 
Logan says no, because saving someone's life once is enough, I mean because he doesn't think anyone should be cursed with immortality, and the old man dies. The next day, gangsters attack Wolverine and kidnap the old man's daughter, who he has a crush on, and there's a cool fight on top of a bullet train. Logan eventually gets captured and put in a machine intended to steal his healing factor. He then faces off against the Silver Samurai, who is the old man in a mech suit with energized adamantium katanas, and he cuts off Wolverine's claws. Logan regrows his old bone claws, ew, they fight, and he eventually kills the Silver Samurai for real. Alright. So, someone actually once described this movie to me as Tom Cruise's The Last Samurai, but with Wolverine in it. Um, you know, it's not a groundbreaking movie by any means, but it's also not the worst X-Men film by a long shot. It works as this almost standalone fun action romp that if you don't want to think too hard about it, like, you can just sit back and enjoy the cool action scenes. There's a lot of fun fights, and you'll enjoy it. It doesn't add a whole lot to the X-Men canon, but it also doesn't hurt anything by existing. I'm kind of neutral on this movie, but if you asked me to pick a side, I would say it's a hit. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. The Silver Samurai adaptation was a funky one, because in the comics, I think he has, like, a magic sword and he's not in a in a mech suit, but mm-hmm. given the plot of the movie, I think it's pretty sensible, because it does at least bring in one of the X-Men's most famous rogues into the movie universe, even if it's not in his exact comic book form. I think you've covered the main points. So yeah, neutral I guess, but if you put a gun to my head, I would say it's a hit as well. Not every movie needs to be emotional and cerebral, so yeah. That's fair. The next movie is X-Men Days of Future Past. This movie is a sequel to First Class, and is based on a now-famous X-Men story with the same name, which in reality was only like two issues long. In a dystopian future, Sentinels, an iconic foe of the X-Men, hunt down and kill mutants. Traditionally, they're these purple robots, but these future Sentinels are designed differently, They are super scary and have the ability to adapt their powers to the situation depending on who they're fighting, for example, melting Iceman with fire powers. Kitty Pride apparently now has the power to send people's consciousness back in time, so she sends Bishop's consciousness back in time a few days with knowledge of the future so they can recalibrate their plan. We find out that back in the 70s, Mystique assassinated the head of the Sentinel program, Bolivar Trask, and was captured by the government, who used her DNA to advance the Sentinel program, allowing the Sentinels to adapt to mutant powers like we saw earlier. So Kitty has to send Wolverine's consciousness back to his 1970s body to prevent the assassination from happening. In the 70s, and despite some reservations, Professor X, Wolverine, and Beast break Magneto out of prison with Quicksilver's help, who we never see again in the movie, which is unfortunate because it seems like he'd be really useful. Anyway, Magneto tries to kill Mystique, so she runs away, and he splits off from the rest of the group. While the original Sentinel program is being unveiled, the one using the purple robots, the X-Men try to stop Mystique from killing Trask and the President, while Magneto, who can control metal, ergo can control sentinels, I guess, turns them on the humans. 
It cuts back and forth between the past and the future, where the future Sentinels have tracked down the X-Men who desperately tried to hold them off. Mystique eventually subdues Magneto, saving the president's life, and erases the dystopian future. Wolverine wakes up in the present, finding Scott, Jean, and Professor X all to be alive, so I guess they also decided to use this movie to reset the timeline and remove all the stuff people didn't like from The Last Stand. Wow, what what can I say about this movie? Um, I adore this movie beyond beyond words. I remember the first time I saw this movie so vividly, I could name you the people I went to go see it with. And then about 15 or 20 minutes in, I actually had to go use the bathroom, but I just held it in for the entire, like, two-hour-plus-long runtime because there was never a single scene where I felt like I could afford to step out and miss it. You know, if the plot wasn't being driven forward or some really dope action wasn't happening, you were getting hit with, like, really emotional moments. Like, Professor X coming to terms with how he sort of started losing his idealism because actually when you meet young Professor X at the start of this movie, he's kind of broken and he's kind of lost hope that, you know, he's lost the hope we're so used to seeing from him. And I remember being so terrified when you watch the future X-Men just fight tooth and nail trying to keep Kitty and Wolverine safe, you know, just to give them a chance, not even to win, just a chance to survive. And um, there's even a scene where Mystique breaks in somewhere and she finds these files that were being used for the Sentinel program. And you kind of just get these, like, images of the corpses of Angel and some of the mutants we saw in the previous movie, in First Class, who didn't return. And it's like, oh man, like, they wrote them out without them being in the movie and they made it count. Like, it hits you because you know who these people are, even if you're not super attached to them. Yes. Well, I actually totally forgot about that scene until you brought it up. But yeah, it it really is a very good use of characters that aren't in the movie, (laughs) funnily enough. I love First Class a lot. And occasionally I'll go back and forth about which is my favorite movie. But I do think Days of Future Past wins. I absolutely adore this movie as well, in case it wasn't already obvious. I think this film is a masterpiece. Film critics don't at me. I absolutely loved seeing old Professor X and Magneto actually working together on the same side. Yes. You know, you see the young ones who are kind of on the same page in first class and then not really. And then in the original X-Men movies, they are always on opposite sides pretty much. So to see them fighting side by side as, you know, pretty much brothers who love each other is... It, it warms the cockles of my heart, <laughs> even though they are pretty much at death's door. One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is towards the end when the future Sentinels are closing in on the, I guess, the room or the structure that Wolverine is in, where he's totally vulnerable because Kitty's sending his consciousness back in time. You have the young X-Men in that group who are, like, fighting to keep the Sentinels away, but then... You know, it's just getting really hard. Magneto realizes, I've got to get my hands dirty. So he steps out of the room. Professor X is like, whoa. (laughs) And then the first thing he does is he lifts the X-Jet, Storm blows it up, and he uses the 
the pieces, the shrapnel from the X-Jet to barricade the door. And he just slowly takes some steps back as the Sentinels approach. And he's like, you guys, I am not letting you guys in here. And it's like, wow. I, I love that scene so much. It's seared into my memory. And on that note, can we also take a moment to appreciate how stacked the cast is? You've got Hugh Jackman, you've got Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy, and Jennifer Lawrence all in the same movie. It's like, wow, that's a lot of star power. <laughs> oh, and before I forget, as far as generic CGI bad guys go, the new Sentinels are terrifying. I know they're not comic book accurate, but... You know, they got a lot of emotion out of me, most of it fear, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I remember in the ending scenes, like, towards the end of the movie, when the X-Men are all fighting, and, you know, you get the new mutants who you... Not those new mutants, but you get the mutants that you haven't seen in other movies, and you see their powers, and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool, like, Blink. And you're like, oh, that's a handy power that she defeated them, and the Sentinels are immediately just like, no! <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. So, yeah, all in all, this is also possibly, probably my favorite X-Men movie. You know, it's got a lot of action, it's got a lot of emotion, it's got some great acting, and it's got a lot of lore, so what more could you want from a superhero movie? Well, okay, maybe two things. So, there is a deleted scene with Rogue where she has to be saved. I think it takes place at the start of the movie. I think it would have been really cool to see that in the film. And I suppose in the comics, it centers around Kitty Pride. Kitty is the one who gets sent back in time. Though I suppose Hugh Jackman is a very bankable star, and I suppose they weren't really going to do much with Kitty in the movies, even though it was great for her character in the comics. Okay, that I can forgive, but man, they should have left the rogue scene in. So, we've covered the first seven Fox X-Men movies today, and so far we've had five hits if we're, you know, rounding up for the Wolverine, and two misses. Not a bad track record, I'd say, at least so far. But we're not quite finished. In our next episode, we're going to cover the remaining Fox X-Men movies, including the thrilling conclusion to our X-Men prequel series and the redemption of a certain Merc with a Mouth. But that's all for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to join us every Thursday in the Asia-Pacific region, Wednesday everywhere else, for more content like this. And if you're a fan of quizzes, you can also check us out on YouTube to test your knowledge. We hope to see you there, and we'll catch you next time.